Welcome to Campfire Football. I'm Sebastian North. This is episode 90, a cross collab with the Footy Misfits podcast. So I had my friends Ronnie and LV on to come and chat about a few specific things I wanted to probe into. We let off with the MLS playoffs, what we think of the quality, the drama, and the general structure of it. Then we moved on to the Ballon d'Or, and don't worry, we did not spend a bunch of time arguing over who we thought should have won it. Instead, similar to what we did with the MLS, we talked about the structure of it, and why it makes sense, why it doesn't, and why do we care? Then we give some player shout-outs, lend some support to someone who may be struggling, and some shine to someone we think is doing great. And we round it off with what we think is our silliest debates we've heard of late. It's lots of fun. Enjoy. Today on Campfire Football, we have two-thirds of the footy misfits. I'd say we have the back line and the front line. Uh, I'm just going to go ahead and, Ronnie, you're the back line. And uh, LV, you're the front line. That's what I. That's kind of the way I look at it. Spence, midfielder, out for the day. But I want to give you guys a chance to introduce yourselves as the Footy Misfits podcast. Go ahead, Ronnie. Say what you got to say. What's going on, Ronnie? Here. Um, I don't have any of the AKAs. My partner LV does, but it's the holiday season, so I do go by Mister Rum Coquito. Um. And like I always say, everybody out there, stay strong and be brave. Love it. LV, what you got for us? Okay, uh, I have plenty of AKAs for myself, of course, but I go by LV. Y'all can call me LV. And Ronnie's being a bit humble. I do call him Mr. Misfits, the man who makes it happen. So, you know, but uh, uh, thanks for having us on the Campfire Football. I'm ready to get warm and toasty and have some takes. Happy to well, be here. First, I also want to just say about your guys' show – we we've been sort of bantering and following each other the whole year. And uh, I think of all the, of all the podcasts that I listen to, you know, from, you know, the, the sort of non large media podcasts, right. Not the ones set up by the athletic or BT sport or anything, but the ones that are independent, you guys just have this awesome way of calling it how you see it. And so I think anyone have a listen to the footy misfits for this. I really loved the way you guys covered the Super League and that whole debacle that week. I thought you guys did an excellent job. So anyone, uh, one of my favorite episodes of Footy Mystics is the Foot d'État. So go ahead. I don't remember what number episode that is for you guys, but I would I would recommend anyone go back and listen to that because it is a beautiful episode, Frozen in Time, and it's a great just I don't know advert for who you guys are as a podcast. Oh, yeah. So Thank you I just that. wanted Thank to make that. that shout out. So today we're going to we're going to talk a little bit about a few different just small topics. There's uh, too many big things to go into. Uh, I think enough has been said about the entire Ole out thing. And so, you know, we can now move on. Uh, some of the topics I want to cover <laughs> are things that either are being talked about. Not enough, too much or just the right amount. So we're going to start with the MLS playoffs and I'm going to start by just kind of going through what I, what we're going to talk about, but also what my initial impressions have been and then sort of hand it off to you guys. So just in terms of drama, the MLS playoffs this season have actually been really, I think, pretty good. I, I wouldn't say the quality of the games has been all that high, but we've had some late, late winners um some great shoot a couple great shootouts 
Uh, I like the one and done. I like, I prefer it to the two leg system. I think it does make each game more exciting, but you know, Glesnus with his, his volley for uh, the union to knock out the Red Bulls. I was actually at the Rapids Timbers game, which was an amazing atmosphere. It was so much fun. Beautiful Thanksgiving day. The weather was incredible. And then we get scored on with a minute to go. And everyone in the stadium was like, wait, what the hell just happened? And so then you got the first seed out. New England losing on penalties to S, uh, to um, NYCFC. Real Salt Lake pulling off the no shot, yet we still win a playoff game through the shootout. And then they go and they beat SKC in their own house. So, you know, it just gets better and better. Nashville missing four penalties. It just a, a lot of Disgusting. really good stuff. Incredible. Now, I want I want you guys to give me your opinions on what, what you think you've seen. Uh, if you've seen a lot or seen a little, just what your general thoughts have been about the MLS playoffs, good, bad, ugly, anything. So uh, LV, kick us off, kick us off. Okay. I know you, you said you've got a few thoughts. Yeah, just a few small things, because uh, I know that I probably keep up with the MLS a bit less for many reasons, obviously, we can get into, uh, not necessarily on pitch, but um, so I'm a uh, Minnesota United fan. I'm from Minnesota. And uh, after making the playoffs, uh, after an interesting up and down season, I thought we had something there, but uh, similar to the Rapids, we went out in a uh, dis- disgusting fashion uh, to the same team, the Timbers, and they beat us down. It was uh, it was embarrassing to say the least. We scored the opening goal, courtesy of Fragapon, but uh, after that, it was it was all Portland. And I'll be honest, that was probably it for me. After I saw that, I think I was done. I think I was emotionally beaten down, and. Uh, alongside the teams that I support in the Premier League, uh, this was enough for me, you know, losing at home or back home. Uh, hate to see it, hate to see it. But yeah, I mean, Portland looks good. I would say the other thing I had to uh, point out was that Portland looks really good. Um, and I mean, that's that's pretty much it from, from me on that end. Uh, the Loons let me down. We did really well last season, uh, got to the uh, Western finals, I believe, if I'm not mistaken. Um, and then since that point, on it's been uh up and down and we're back down if you will well so i mean look the minnesota is a relatively new franchise Uh, they're performing pretty well on an annual basis i would say considering they're able to get themselves into the playoffs that's I mean, there's some some teams look at fc cincinnati season i'd (laughs) I'd imagine if you if you're a minnesota if you're a loons boy you know, there's, there's, there's something to be proud of for the future or some some kind of uh, excitement. I mean, Frajapane was really, really good this year. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Um, and then I think, I mean, when you, I guess it's all relative to how you look at it, uh, being that, you know, you look at, like you said, FC Cincinnati, uh, all nasty business over there. They look, they look terrible and, and have been for a while. I mean, at least we've been able to make the playoffs. But uh, I'm also kind of looking at it uh, from you, from the perspective of, you know, you look at, Atlanta as well, who were relatively new not that long ago and came out guns a blazing. They joined uh, the same year, Atlanta and Minnesota. Right. And so th- I think I think that sort of gave me, I would say, a negative sort of outlook because I've been comparing us to them ever since. And they 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 came out, like I said, guns a blazing, um, you know, winning the MLS Cups and things like that. So but yeah, I mean absolutely uh, on a on a humble, a very uh, I guess 
unbiased, take a step back, look at it. We're not doing so bad. It did hurt to exit in the first round. I would have loved to see us advance and maybe play the Rapids, but not our year. No, no, not, not, not the year. But I, I will say it's tough to measure yourself to Atlanta in their first year, especially considering the fact that they went out first round this year as well. And yep. you're not taking into account another new franchise that came in and did not do so well, and that would be Inter-Miami. Oh, so man. you guys have done pretty well in, in my in my estimations. There you go. Yeah, the mess that is into Miami. Oof, duh. Yeah, don't forget about don't forget about Cincy and Miami. If if you know, don't don't think too much on that. Oh, I certainly won't be about Cincinnati. Trash that Cincinnati. <laughs> yeah, Ronnie's got to, his own feelings and takes about FC Cincinnati. So, well, Ronnie, but, uh, let's let's move on to you then. What what are your takes on this whole MLS playoff? And um, I don't know if the playoffs are an opportunity for you to talk about Cincinnati, but. Go for it if you want to. I have no reason to talk about Cincinnati because they're not there, and that's a good thing. Um, but from what I saw in the MLS playoffs, like, yeah, the games were good. Um, I really enjoyed NYCFC versus Atlanta. Um, Dante Castellanos, if it were up to me, I'd give him best MLS player. The goal he scored against Atlanta, that weird-ass volley just chops it into the back of the net past Brad Guzan. Oh, man, that was incredible. But um, I saw the Thanksgiving Day game as well, Rapids and Portland. And damn it, man, that's all I got to say. You it hate you gotta, you hate to see a team lose that late on. And the hopes are so high. Like, I had never seen Dick Sporting Goods Park so packed before, at least from what I've – you see, you're nodding your head. No, back for back. sure, for sure, 100%. Like, I had never seen it. So I'm like, all right. Maybe they're going to be a surprise team. Maybe make it to the Western Conference final at the bare minimum. No, Portland, breaking hearts. But like LV, I kind of did have hopes for Minnesota to make another deep run like they did last year. But at the end of the day, they left me like Tyra Banks on some. I was rooting for you. We were all rooting for you. How dare you? That'll be well, not the America's idea. Next Top Model reference. Oh, and the fact that we all know that it's America's Next Top Model, right? Um, <laughs> it fits the um, narrative here, though. And that'll be my reaction if NYCFC can't get past Philadelphia. I feel like they can. But the way Nashville went out to them in penalties was just disgusting. Couldn't even net a single penalty. Either it was saved or it went back to Nashville. But um, I see NYCFC taking that and maybe taking MLS Cup. I don't know. Bring that back to a baseball park. I don't know. We'll see. That actually, I mean, gosh, it's funny how this is the first time I've ever heard this, but a lot of people have been going, man, this is a bad look for MLS that you got a playoff game in this stadium. It's like, I mean, it's a bad look every week. <laughs> when you got the dirt next to I mean, the just yeah it doesn't look right Very like deep. it's it, it's not just because it's a playoff game that it looks off it it never looks good so that's got to be so tough field size allowed and it's so intimate on the field like you can't you don't have space to do shit but how they don't have a stadium after like five six years of existence when they promised us within a year or two is beyond me yeah, no, I'm with you on that. It's it's incredible because they're they're not a bad franchise. Like the David Villa years for NYCFC were pretty good, um, right? You know, and this is they're in New York. 
I get that they're in a stadium, but why, how have they not renovated some of it yet? Have they not sort of changed the, the layout? I don't know. Um, yeah. I know it's expensive, I'm sure. But... I'm saying get, get some more grass at least when the Yankees aren't playing. Like, you can afford some grass. Does right? anyone play in that stadium? Don't the Yankees play in their, in their new stadium? Isn't NYCFC the only team that plays there? That's an interesting thing to figure out. Is there a minor league baseball team that plays there during the week? No, I think, yeah, I think the mi minor leaguers play uh, in Brooklyn. Actually, or Stat is it Staten Island or Brooklyn? One of those. But, yeah, it's it's really only NYCFC. So It's a strange yeah. look. I, you know what was also a strange look? Was Nashville missing four penalties. And the two that blazed them, as you said, back to Nashville, were looking at the spot like, yo, but the grass was all scuffed up. You know, Walker Zimmerman looked back at it and I was like, you know, you guys missed four and they scored. So it can't be, it can't be the turf. Was that their excuse? I mean, right <laughs> after they missed them, you'd see them look back at the floor and kind of be like, oh, you know, it's like, well, it, that's what it looked like to me. It kind of looked like just when you see players take a penalty and the dirt flies all over the place and they slip, they look down at the turf. Understandably, this one, I was like, I don't get what you guys are looking at. These are just terrible penalties. But I, actually, Nashville, for me, was I thought that they were going to win the whole thing. Um, Honey Mukhtar has had an incredible season, right? And Amazing season. they just have a lot of tools. And I know that most of the teams in the MLS are really inconsistent with their high level and their low level. But I really thought that they would, they would be able to do it. So see Philly survive twice now. I, I, look, I... I think NYCFC versus, I mean, I, it's probably got to be Portland, but you can't count RSL out at this point. The, the big thing that I actually, here's my big takeaway that I wanted to get from you guys. And, and this is not necessarily just the playoff games you've seen, but in general, what you've seen from MLS. Look, as a coach, I'm, I'm a little bit shocked at how low the level of quality tends to be and I don't mean that the guys can't pass the ball but nothing really there's very few difference makers that I see on the fields there's not much you know taking people on 1v1 there's not a whole lot of penetrating combination plays and the games just kind of slowly drag on and there's average chances and goals are scored from either comical mistakes or moments of kind of sheer brilliance that come out of nowhere or scrappy things right um what do you guys think of just the overall just level of play in the mls do you think it's gotten really stale because it improved for a while it felt but it just felt so it just looks really really average yeah. right now what do, what do you guys think i, I it feels think like oh go ahead so i i mean real quick i, I just think that uh, uh, I think one of the main things that it comes down to, aside from the fact that, you know, uh, footy or soccer hasn't hasn't really hit the heights that I, I thought it would a couple of years back in the U.S. I thought we'd be at a, a certain a, a sort of uh, a level of fandom or a, le a level of, um, I guess, uh, excitement for it. And we kind of I feel like we were headed in that direction and then sort of, you know, planed off. Um, and I think. Recruitment for sure is one, one thing. I think the recruitment hasn't been, uh, it's been pretty piss poor in my opinion. Uh, maybe it could be uh, sort of 
folks not necessarily knowing what to look for, or I guess, you know, just looking for the wrong things. I know a lot of times just growing up, I played a little bit of soccer and uh, it was always the most athletic players would kind of play. And, and it's, you know, and as you guys, I'm sure know, you know, uh, Seb is, you know, being a, a coach and Ronnie and me just kind of following the game for, I think if there's one sport on earth that doesn't necessarily have to do with athletics, it's soccer. And in the regards that you don't necessarily need to be the biggest, strongest, fastest, you know, person there to control a game really. And it's mostly, I think more than many sports, it's all about, I guess, reading the game, you know, IQ and using your eyes and things like that. And so I feel like the recruitment hasn't necessarily lended itself in that direction. It's always been sort of um, just not taking, uh, I guess, a cue from what's going on around the world, if you will. And, and even just looking down in Mexico, if you watch games in the, you know, in the Liga MX, it's, there's just so much more quality in just passing, interplay, things like that, rather than relying on, uh, like you said, these sort of scrappy goals and moments of brilliance. That's why these players that, you know, come across from Europe in their dying moments can play so well at such an old age because they have that quality that, you know, the understanding of the game that, really kind of can take you to a, a next level, you know? And so um, I think that's one of the main things. I think it's the, the, the eye for recruiting and it hasn't headed in a direction where I thought it would, but I will say though, on a positive note, with the US team uh, looking slightly better, obviously we know they scrape by uh, qualifications, but um, with the fact that they have young guns that are playing high level football in Europe, I think that itself right there will be inspiration enough for folks to kind of know what to look for and not saying that the U.S., uh, you know, the national team hasn't had it um, in the past, but I think just the, the, the amount of players that we have that have the quality that we would like to look for is something that I think MLS as a whole should and can take away from, you know, the squad itself and look for those sort of players, those sort of qualities that these players, you know, Pulisic, uh, Serginho Dest, who hasn't been the best, but is still, I would say, a, a really bright a spot in in in, um, in U.S. soccer. But uh, just kind of taking away from those guys the quality the qualities that they possess that makes them so attractive in Europe, and kind of taking that and and hopefully uh, in the future, uh, especially um, if the U.S. team does well or you know uh, uh, continues to to rise, I think that will coincide sort of with the MLS moving forward uh, in a positive direction. But uh, uh, rambling a lot to say recruitment needs to be a bit better in my opinion, but yeah, Sebastian. So I guess any, any thoughts you sort of have on that in, in regards to the, the quality of play in the MLS or just any you know, more? I actually think you brought up a really interesting point with recruitment, because if I think back on MLS history with recruitment, it's like, if you, it, you go back to the very, very beginning of its inception, they were just trying to get anyone they could, Right players from the U.S., players who were playing in, you know, the development leagues in the U.S., and then any foreign player that was willing, right? Yeah. And, and basically, there was an evolution where then David Beckham came, and what that did was it opened up this door and this idea for, wow, we could actually recruit, like, elite players who are, yeah, maybe towards the end of their careers, but what they could bring to the game here would be huge, absolutely. Not not just on a on a commercial level, but also to be able to sort of show what a certain standard and level is. And then, I think Pirlo was just one of those players that embodied walking around on the field and doing uh, almost nothing. Yeah, so you had you you had you had Pirlo that kind of he he symbolized that, 
And I know there were, there were a few other players that came in and that was the feeling that, that these old guys were coming here just to pick up a paycheck and not care about doing well and walk. So then it became about choosing the right players like that. And at that point in time, the academy system really started to pump out players. So that's when we started to see more kids who were actually growing up through the system. And then we started, what I noticed is the MLS started to actually invest the big money players, the DPs. They were no longer the old guys from Europe. They're guys like Lucas Zellerayan from Columbus yeah. Crew, yeah. Uh, you know, Castellanos, guys who are coming from Liga Mekis or anywhere down in South America. And I think that's a much better mix. Yeah. I think it makes a, a whole lot more sense. The, the problem I think now is that, okay, Inter-Miami went back to the well that they shouldn't have, right? You know, yeah. and I, I think the biggest issue we have now is the players were in a decent spot as far as some of the recruitment ideas. I actually think the coaching is average. You've got a lot of guys that played in the MLS in the years mm -hmm. where it was kind of really, you know, ugly soccer and they're coaching now. And I don't think you really have modern concepts being filtered into the professional game. And you have players that are good enough to do them, but they're not asked to do more. That's kind of what I've noticed is it, it still looks really rudimentary in the coaching. And I think your point on, um, on recruitment being like actually looking at profiles of players that do well and trying to look for players that have similar attributes. I think that's, that's a really, really interesting point. I don't know how much of that is going on, honestly. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I think um, just in America specifically, if you look at different sports, I think it's, uh, the level to which I think ultimately a lot of things come down to money, but the level to which folks will actually tune in and watch stuff like with baseball, when they started using really in-depth statistics uh, to find players that did certain things that worked. And um, I know, you know, obviously with the, the revolution of uh, XG and things of that nature, that these tools are available to the average person. And I think that it's, that is something that will also help. I think it's just the idea that it's, Football in America has not been given that sort of has not been taken serious enough yet, and I hoped I hoped it would by this point. I mean, um, and hope I'm still hopeful that it will. Um, and, and I think I, I mean you make a really good point with coaching as well because um, it, there's so much that a, a good coach can do, and you can see that on, on every level with Chelsea in the Premier League getting rid of Lampard and putting in Tuchel, and even with uh, uh, Chavi when he was over in Qatar. And the amount to which, you know, coaching at a high level, um, how it forces the teams around you that are doing worse to get better. And so, I mean, I'm not saying one good coach in the MLS could change the entire league, but it sure could be a good start. You're absolutely right. No, that could be a really interesting shakeup. All right, Ronnie, let's hear you talk about uh, this. Um, I was just going to get on. I was just going to get on the fact that Part of that you could also put on, like, league structure. Like, and I know we spoke about this a little briefly before we started the recording. Um, games don't really get that intense until the latter stages of the regular season and, of course, the playoffs is what you're playing for. If you're a team like Inter-Miami or FC Cincinnati, you're not really playing for much. So the quality of team those sides are going to have is going to be, for lack of a better term, poo. Like, albeit Miami has 
Gonzalo Higuain and Rodolfo Pizarro, but they're not really putting their all into it. Montreal has Vidal Wanyama. They're not really going to put in a star-started um, effort, even though I can say we went to Red Bulls versus Montreal, and like you said, um, the quality of the play was subpar, the Red Bull got a late winner off of Fabio. I, I don't remember his last name, but yeah, if it weren't for that, then if it weren't for the Red Bull being in a playoff position, they probably wouldn't have given 110% towards the latter stages of the game. They probably would have just, you know, milked it in, mailed in the game, and just keep it pushing with their season, fulfilling the rest of the fixtures. But I feel like that could be part of the reason as well. And it goes all to, like, you know, league structure and promoting and relegating, like, if we had Cincinnati playing to stay up in MLS, I feel like they would take these games much more seriously than they are now. If um, any team were anywhere close to the New England Revolution, they would have taken it as seriously. But that's, I guess, for lack of a better term, a handicap that the league has. I don't know. But well, I do see your points on coaching and um, recruitment as well. Look, honestly, I, th- I think league structure is huge. And before we move on to topic number two that we're going to cover for the day, the one thing I wanted to leave us on on this was I watched the USL championship final between um, the Tampa Bay Rowdies and Orange County. And shout to Orange County, who playing away in a final in a very rowdy Tampa Bay stadium uh, they went up 3-0 by halftime and ended up winning the game 3-1. Uh, their goalkeeper saved a penalty for Tampa Bay before they went on this three-goal run. Uh, and at the end of the match, the commissioner of the USL, he was speaking about this, and he said that they have, they're fully you know, going through with planning and hopefully executing a promotion relegation structure in the USL. So creating two tiers of that league to create just a little bit of extra spice to the whole league. I think that's awesome that they're doing that. And it's the coolest thing is that it's going to, I think it's going to push MLS to consider, you know, what it means to have 30 teams or, you know, however many teams in the league. And frankly, like they're just, more than half have nothing to play for. New England is now out. So you had the number one and the number one seat from the East and the West have already been eliminated. Despite New England having a record breaking point season, they lose one game in a shootout and now they won't be crowned MLS champions. And it might be RSL, right? Who are going to survive in advance. So I I think the structure is definitely going to continue to get called into question. Uh, and I, I think ProRel being instituted in USL championship would be a really good way for MLS to just see what it looks like. Um, I don't know, definitely LB. a game changer. Yeah, great point. I agree. Yeah. I think that definitely, like, there's nothing like, uh, you know, the period between February and May when a, a, a couple of teams are on the brink of relegation and they're playing for their lives. And all of a sudden the teams were chasing the title. <laughs> don't want to play those fixtures anymore. Whereas in November, they would have loved to pick up those points, but it's a whole different atmosphere and it definitely gives you a lot more to play for. And I think that's an absolute great point. I think the one small thing is that uh, it'll definitely be much worse for the, uh, I guess the 
lower leagues and the teams on the brink of relegation or that get relegated. And it'll be uh, a lot worse before it gets better. But I think it's absolutely necessary for the, for the picture as a whole. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I mean, great point, guys. Great points. Ronnie, anything you want to add on that before we move on? Um, I see where Elvie's coming from, but we've seen like Norwich go down and come right back up. Yeah. Fulham has went down and they're about to come right back up. They're top in the um championship. Yeah. So whatever USL team gets relegated to League One or League Two, they'll find a way to come right back up. If not automatically, then within a few years. But well, back I, up I, the territory, I, mean, I guess. I mean, mainly just for so you know, the, the, whatever teams are in the MLS now, uh, obviously have a certain uh, level of finances, and should they go down, they probably have the talent maybe to come back up right away. But I believe you know the um, if with the lower leagues, assuming there'll be you know a certain amount of teams. It'll be a lot tougher for the lower level teams to kind of break through that, uh, you know, get promoted into into the MLS at first. So I think it'll be when we do see that we'll see a bunch of folks, you know, um, that were in the MLS that weren't playing the best get relegated and come back up. But I mean, with with every relegation, there's a promotion. So there's always the hope that whichever teams can come up and, you know, with these new squads and how they can fare in, in the competition. And there's always the hope for, you know, uh, uh, you know, leads coming back and finishing well above the relegation zone last season and things of that nature. So anything is possible. I think it'll start slow and hopefully there'll be uh, uh, more, even more competition between leagues there uh, in order to make something shake like that. But like, that's the whole point of it all. Like you'd rather earn your place into the top flight than buy your way. in. Yep. Yeah. And yep. if that gets FC Cincinnati to the lower leagues, better. But. Yeah, and I know well, we're talking. And, about, sorry, go ahead, Alvi. Yeah, I, I know we I know we're, we, we've uh, I've spoken a lot more about MLS today than I have in weeks. <laughs> but just one last point. I mean, it 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 just kind of you look at other sports again in, in the United States, and there is the one thing that's different. Be it you know, even though it becomes competitive, especially with the one and done in the playoffs, which I don't mind. I think it makes for very competitive uh, a, a competitive night. Is it the most fair? Probably not, but you know, that's the playoffs. Uh, but, you know, in the NBA, for example, or even in the NFL, there, there are teams that are you know, known for being so bad that at some point in the season, they purposely, uh, and this is all alleged, but they purposely try to not win so that they can benefit at the end of the season by getting a higher draft pick or something like that. In the, it's, it's, a, it's an entire formula, right. you know, you guys know, in order to get better for the long term. And that is bogus. That's bogus, you know, so. It's anti-competitive. Rewarded, you know, yeah, you know, you get rewarded for being bad. Like, that yeah. is literally that. Yeah, it's anti-competitive. So. Failing up. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And uh, so, and I know, I, I think you guys are totally right. I mean, my opinion, the structure of the league is not built for promotion relegation they would need to change the structure of a lot of the way payments are going on the way franchises are built they would need to change that but after having watched that game and seen tampa bay's crowd i was like they deserve to be in the mls right like yeah. it's that 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 crowd that that and and, the, and honestly the level not much different at all so that was that was my opinion on that all right so enough mls so we can now move on to the juiciest topic of the week probably for for many many football bands fans and that is the ballon d'or okay this is uh so france football their uh magazine that has 
just been covering football in France forever. They created this award and for a long time now, it's just, it's kind of been regarded for a long time it was regarded sort of as a, a, just a fun little thing to toss the way of someone who was just really exciting, you know, or good. And over the last, I don't know, maybe decade, it has totally taken a new uh, appeal for people. So quickly, I'm just going to actually read out what the awards were that they gave out this year. And then we will get into cutting this up because it's definitely something that everyone has an opinion on. So team of the year went to Chelsea. The Yashin Trophy, which is for the best goalkeeper, went to Gigi Donnarumma. The Copa Trophy, which goes to the best young player, went to Pedri. The best female player was Alexia Puteas of Barcelona. And the best male player was Lionel Messi. Now I have to end with the most surprising award, which was striker of the year. Robert Lewandowski. I'm not sure anyone's going to argue that. But here is what we... So first of all... Are there any of those that you, which one do you agree with the most? Like, is there, or, or which ones are you like, no, I have no problem with that. Uh, Ronnie, go, go ahead, get started. Which, which awards do you think were correct? Or that you've no Copa. issue with? Copa, Pedri, phenomenal youth talent. You can make cases for other young stars like Bellingham or Vinicius, but I'm not mad at Pedri. Um, Puteas, women's Ballon d'Or. You could give it to anyone on Barcelona, women's team for that matter. Um, I'm personally a fan of Jenny Hermoso, but I'm not mad at the Alexia Putelas nod. Um, best striker. Um, <laughs> yes, Robert Lewandowski is, but the fact that they have that award is complete bullshit. Um, How about the trophy? Do you see the oh. cheese board they gave him? The trophy was ridiculous. Which is a, even massive more sugar, a massive sugar cookie. Yeah, a nice flatbread. <laughs> Which is, they did hit this man dirty. I'd have, I'd have thrown that shit back. I wouldn't take that home with me. Imagine it was like him posted up in bed with all those trophies and then he has the cutting board right next to it. Like, ugh. Oh, if he had frisbeed that into the crowd, it would have been brilliant. Brilliant. <laughs> <laughs> um, What else do I agree with? Um, Goalkeeper. Donnarumma has been phenomenal, especially at the Euro. I, If it didn't go to him, I would have given it to Edouard Mendy. Because once that man touched ground on London soil, changed changed Chelsea for the better. Um, Ballon d'Or. Uh, yeah, I'm, I don't have an issue with Messi winning it. I feel like him winning Copa America was going to be the tiebreaker. Over Robert Lewandowski. Um, albeit Robert Lewandowski had a phenomenal season. You can't undermine him breaking Gun Muller's goal scoring record in the Bundesliga. Like, it's uh, however many years old that record was, like close to 50, I think it was. Yeah. And you years. break that iconic record, you have, you have to give him credit for that. Um, I wouldn't have been mad if he won, of course. Definitely should have won 2020. I don't know why France football said, well, we're not going to have an award, even though they could have done it remotely. But, you know, they're dumb. But at the end of the day, I don't, I'm not quite mad at the winners. All right. LV, what do you think? 
Yeah, um, I I think the uh, Alexia Puteas for sure, um, I was not mad at. Uh, obviously, forward or striker of the year, uh, the bullshit uh, trophy that they decided to make just to appease Lewandowski, quote unquote, or just to kind of give to him to be like, sorry, uh, is what it looked like. Um, I mean, if it wasn't him, it wouldn't be any, it wouldn't be, it wouldn't have been anybody else. Uh, on the goalkeeper, uh, the Yashin Award, I know that he, this there was probably no way it would happen, but I wouldn't have been mad at Emmy Martinez getting a nod uh, just for, you know, his sort of entire run after leaving Arsenal and proving that they might have should have kept him, you know, I mean, uh, really showing his talent at Aston, Aston Villa. And then clearly we all saw what he did uh, during Copa America. Just if they should make like a, the biggest balls trophy or something like that, just being the, you know, <laughs> there's no way he wouldn't win that. I've never seen anybody take over penalty. Uh, and we spoke about this on our pod as well. Just someone who takes over penalty shootouts in that way. And even earlier this season uh, when Villa played Man United and, he kind of got all in uh, Bruno Fernandez's head and was like, let Ronaldo take it. And, you know, Fernandez missed it. So I would have liked to see him at least get a nod. Um, but Gigi Donnarumma, I mean, he was player of the Euro, first guy, to, first keeper to do it since Schmeichel. So uh, I can't be mad at it, um, but I would have liked to see Edward, uh, not Edward Mendy, uh, Emmy Martinez nominated. But aside from that, I wasn't really, um, I think all the other trophies that were awarded were pretty much on point obviously except the the one that everybody sort of cares about uh the Ballon d'Or in itself um now I think before before yesterday I think I was I want to say I was I'm very conflicted also. even right now I'm very conflicted about Messi getting it I'm not necessarily mad or think he didn't deserve it um I just think that him winning it this season is just another testament to how much the awards are not based in logic, I guess. There's definitely the, the bigger portion of the reason or of the votes that are given are definitely based in some sort of favoritism or something because there's, there's so many players that have done really well, not just to win the award, but the way they're sort of ranked in the short list or, or the list of 30. And it, at, at a certain point, you kind of read them off and it doesn't make any sense. Well, um, let's talk about that because it, it, it is this, the structure of it is very interesting. This is the most well-known individual awards that are given to players in the world. All the other individual awards that are given to players, they are either tournament specific or league specific. So this is the only one that just involves everything, right? That, that, that people really, you know, care about journalists 180 journalists from around the world put in their votes now some of these journalists are people who watch you know top level football every week right they're 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 on, they're on it some of them live in you know places where maybe the football in their country is not so great so they they just they kind of tune in to whatever it is they can but they're not really following it that much. So when they're given a list at the end of the year, who, who was the best? I mean, these people are filling this out, maybe just like who's fresh on my mind, right? Um, we have a very short memory in football, obviously. I think that the Jorginho pick is very interesting. Uh, why so many people <laughs> oh, play him so high? Look, I'm a Chelsea fan. Um, and 
I, I, this is one of those things that like N'Golo Conte was more important in the midfield for Chelsea than Jorginho. No, no doubt about it. If you were watching the games, but because Jorginho wins the Euros, everyone goes, oh man, like he won the Champions League with Chelsea and the Euros. Does anyone wonder what would have happened if Germany would have won the Euros? Would Kai Havertz all of a sudden be player of the year, right? Uh, if France had won the Euros, Benzema and N'Golo Kante would be top of everyone's minds, right? They'd be the players everyone wants, or Kylian Mbappe, right? Like, let's say, you know, if they had done well. So a lot of journalists who I think already are churning out so much information and either taking in and churning out so much information that they don't remember what happened three months ago. I mean, I've heard people say, what did Messi do aside from winning the Copa America this year? Did you see what he was doing for Barcelona in the spring? I mean, it was literally, okay, the team's playing like crap. I'll pick everyone up and we'll go and win the game. And he did it over and over and over again, which is why when I look at Messi winning it, I don't understand why people are so upset because it's hard to not say he was one of the best players in almost every game he played this season. Lewandowski not winning it, I think really is a, an issue that maybe a lot of journalists just don't really watch the Bundesliga. So they don't, he's not fresh on their minds. And they, oh yeah, the guy that's scoring a ton of goals for Bayern Munich. Yeah, well, whatever. It's just Bayern Munich. Did they win the Champions League? No. Did he score a bunch of goals for Poland? No. So I think that's kind of how the structure of it creates this thing where it's like, wait, wh- who's even making these? Like, what wh- what criteria are they using? So the, the criteria is really interesting. Is there a way... LV, tell me if you have an idea of how better to structure the Ballon d'Or and how better to set it up so that it seems more fair. Um, okay, so, well, first things first, the your pronunciation is incredible. Wonderful French. Um, secondly, um, yeah, I, I think the biggest thing you hit it right on the head is what is the criteria, you know, of of picking these players, is it the biggest moments or is it, a, you know, what is the combination of things that, you know, puts a Jorginho above a N'Golo Kante or, you know, that keeps Ronaldo so, you know, so high in there or doesn't give Lewandowski the award. Um, and I was thinking about this before the, the we, we started the podcast. Um, I, I agree with you 100% that I think jur- these journalists probably don't watch as heavily as we, as some people may think they do, or as heavily as their votes are worth, um, which I think is a big no-no. Um, I know in the Premier League, at least, they have you know two major awards. They got the PFA Player of the Year, and they have the uh, Football Writers Player of the Year. And so, I like the idea of players uh, maybe giving players some votes, maybe give them one or two, and say they can't vote for themselves, and see who they thought were the two best players. Obviously. Um, and then maybe somehow breaking them down between uh, between leagues and see who gets you know rated the highest and have some sort of uh, I, I guess vote off in that way because I think for one the players obviously know what it takes to play at this level and to be really great I'm sure although Messi is oh Ronnie's got his hand up continue your point so I, I think just for the fact that the players know what it takes to to be you know, to play at a high level and, and, and they play against one another and whether or not they're being totally honest, 
they know what it feels like when, let's say, a forward is having a terrible game because a center back or a fullback is completely pocketing him. Or when a midfielder is completely controlling the entire dynamic of the match, like we saw N'Golo Kante do time and again in the biggest moments in the Champions League semifinal. That's one that I keep going back to where everybody's focused on Jorginho, where this Real Madrid team who was making, uh, who was in form in the Champions League, who, you know, against all odds, quote unquote, were, you know, were controlling the, the Champions League matches uh, because of their midfield, which is so strong, the Casemiro, uh, Luka Modric, and Tony Cruz, they were firing on all cylinders and doing everything that they could do, not to mention that Benzema was in the form of his life. They go up against Chelsea, and it took one man to run them out of the park. N'Golo Kante and the last goal that Chelsea scored um, to sort of wrap the tie up, all created by N'Golo Kante. He steals the ball at the midfield, pushes it all the way to the box, makes the right pass, doesn't get the assist because Pulisic, I think, or uh, it was Havertz or somebody, makes... Another pass to sort of, you know, close it off. But this is the man who completely disassembled this midfield by himself. And, um, you know, I think that to be said, I think players, uh, I think an idea where players get some votes, they can't vote for themselves, and they, you know, get two votes, the two that they thought had the best season or whatever, and then just kind of weigh that in some sort of way. But obviously there's some, there's some, uh, some things to work through within that, but Take it away from the journalists. They seem very out of touch. I don't know. The thing about players voting is I could see a situation where they're voting for the Manzanum. Yeah, yeah. You, like Luis Suarez would vote for Messi all day? Luis Suarez would vote for Messi all day. <laughs> Tony Cruz would probably give a vote to Benzema. And, like, that's, like, the only thing I'm, like, player votes might be a bit sketchy because it's probably going to be skewed towards who you fuck with the most. Yeah. And to an extent, that's what the players, the player awards in the Premier League are. Um, but look, Henry Winter, who is the journalist fr- representing the UK, he voted for Jorginho as number one. Julien Laurent, Julien Laurent, who is the uh, French correspondent for this, he voted for Benzema. Yeah. So same thing. I mean, yeah. right. But it, the I think to your point, LV, the players at least – they know what it takes. Like you said, they've seen it. They might know the little things like, man, that guy, the way he recovered from this injury this year to score all these goals, like they may know that and be able to cast a vote in that way that maybe we don't know. But I think a combination, journalists, I don't mind because journalists do watch and pay attention to the game. I just think that having no players or coaches vote is weird. I think keep the fans as far away from it as possible, for sure. (laughs) It'll turn into American Idol. (laughs) Exactly, exactly. Now, Ronnie, there's one thing you said earlier that I want to touch on here because you said, oh, in 2020, they didn't do the awards because they couldn't do them remotely or whatever. Aha. Okay. Ronnie, you're going to be a fun one to to pick your brain on this one about. We're going to get a little, we're going to put our uh, tinfoil cap on, get a little conspiracy theory here. Oh. (laughs) The only reason that this award exists could it maybe be because this is a magazine that started a long time ago and magazine subscriptions are much lower than they used to be and you need something to stay relevant and you've got this award. So now you need to explode the whole thing behind it. And in a year where they can't host this big gala and do this amazing thing, well, let's just not do it because we can't do the thing that actually generates the most amount of eyeballs and attention. Not that I think anyone actually watches that award ceremony anyway, but 
what do you think of this idea that basically they are trying to make this as important as they can because or else they might die? Um, Jesus Christ. Um, you, you bring up a valid point. Um, this, <laughs> this was started up once upon a time not long ago where magazine subscriptions were the way of life. And, you know, they need to find something re- like to, you know, give them some oomph. But in doing that, it takes away some of the validity for the award. Um, I can see that being the reason why, like, oh, we need we need more headlines. We need to, like, steal the headlines because when you think about it, everyone else who was giving out awards, whether it be the UEFA Players of the Year or the FIFA the Best, they still found a way to do it. While the Ballon d'Or, just like, yeah, we're, we're just like, do it. But at the same time, for everyone who says Robert Lewandowski should have been the hands-down winner this year, giving it to Messi does the same thing as well. But if I had to give it to Jorginho, of all people, that's when I think the whole world would have flipped. Talk about a conspiracy of getting people to talk, that would have been it. But um, I see your point. I'm not mad at that. By the no, way, I'm the point. I just think it's an interesting thing. I think like social media, you know, we know 2015 is when social media really kind of really took off, really took off. And it's no surprise that in, in the Messi Ronaldo era of winning the Ballon d'Ors, you also have this thing that comes into play. I mean, it, to me, it's, um, it's, it's a little bit suspicious how much traffic there is surrounding the conversation of the Ballon d'Or and all year long. I mean, you know, three months into the season, people are like, oh, this person's going to win the Ballon d'Or. Well, you're forgetting that no one's going to remember what happened between March or January and May, you know, especially if there's an international tournament. It's like as soon as the Champions League final hits, it's Ballon d'Or talk time. So, yeah, I, I just think it's an interesting thing. Uh, the question is, who cares, really? I mean, should we? Like, is it, why, why does this matter? Uh, I, I know that individual players, like, it's great to get a personal accolade and get recognition, of course. Um, that can drive players, no doubt. But if you ask defenders and goalkeepers and holding midfielders what they think about this award, they all think it's trash. Um, Thomas Muller has some excellent things to say about the Ballon d'Or as well. Uh talking about how Germans don't win it because they're taught to play collectively um, and how what happened at the Ballon d'Or, I think he just recently said what happened at, with the award this year has made everyone at Bayern angry and now they're determined to bring the Champions League back to Munich because they're like, okay, oh, really? Really? You're not going to give it to the guy who we think absolutely should have won it? Fine. So uh, who cares, right? Should we? Does it matter? What, what do you guys think? Yeah, yeah. Um... I think just to go back to the conspiracy, you know what? You might be absolutely right. And <laughs> what my thing is, uh, you know, uh, when a lot of times from what I've seen just in popular culture, even away from the realm of sports, there comes to mind in regards to lists, people love to argue about who should have been what, what should have been what. But a lot of times it's stuff that is necessary, isn't necessarily based in fact. It's always opinion based. Music is one of them, you know, I think. Complex Magazine had a an incredible run over the last 10 or 12 so years where their big thing would be the year-end list, best 50 songs, you know, and whatnot. And people would go crazy on the internet just arguing it back and forth. And the thing about it, is that the genius thing behind it is that you can't 
definitively prove what song is better than the other. And you know, you have a great point because I mean, the magazine here for the Ballon d'Or might be doing the exact same thing. But what bothers me is that a lot of the, a lot of, um, they're exploiting the fact that a lot of football, while rooted in numbers, facts, wins, stats, things like that, there are so many little parts to the game that are nuanced, that aren't, you know, that you won't see on the stat sheet, uh, that you won't see, X, you know, X, XG or XT or whatever the case may be. Things like, you know, that players, um, like like a Jorginho do that you can kind of throw him in somewhere. Let's say he wins some, you know, wins a cup or two, wins some big cups, and you can kind of throw him in the conversation and say, "Well, have you seen him all year? He's been good at his job, or whatever the case may be." And you can't necessarily, you can't, you can argue it. I mean, if you really watch the game, and uh, I, I love the fact that you're a Chelsea fan, so we can actually kind of pick your brain, um, just to kind of, uh, uh, I guess move from the point for a, a second. Um, yeah, your thoughts on Jorginho this season. I mean, I've, I've seen him last season uh, in the Champions League. Pretty good guy for Europe. I mean, he was a good fit in the in the uh, tactical setup they had, but your thoughts on him overall as a player? Is he, when you when you see Jorginho, when you watch him play week in, week out, does he scream Ballon d'Or to you? Well, he definitely doesn't scream Ballon d'Or to me. He's an outstanding player. He's, in a lot of ways, found a way to become kind of one of a kind and unique at what he does. Um, you know, metronomic passing. I mean, I've seen some some games for Chelsea where because of the way he's able to hold on to the ball, he he can he can completely change the actual pace of the game. And then you have other players that can use that and actually, you know, make it work. He's an exceptional player. He's he's really interesting to have in a midfield, you know, what you're getting and what you're not getting from him, which I think yeah. is also nice. You you know what you're not getting from Jorginho, which means if you put someone like N'Golo Conte next to him, you're getting that gamut. You're getting the whole package. Yeah. So, you know, this is why I think your point on this, those two together were such a dominant midfield pairing that pretty much produced no stats aside from ball retrievals and passing completion. And, and yeah, I mean, that, that is a, it's a great, it's a great, examples so why why should we care if we know that so many components of this don't matter and the list i think is great because i remember uh when i was out of college i was living in baltimore and i used to you know friends of mine and stuff we used to get to a bar and we used to literally debate who are the top five uh top 10 rappers top 10 albums like that was our thing like just a hip-hop conversation lasts for like an hour and a half no one gets anywhere Nope. Right. But it generates the conversation. <laughs> so in the social media era, generating the traffic and the conversation around a list suits France football very, very nicely, I would say. Absolutely. I mean, I was and the thing about it, and I don't know how it gets you, but um, every year I'm like, OK, it's going to be this, that and the third. Somebody's going to get screwed and somebody's going to win that maybe should or shouldn't have won. I'm not investing my time in this. And then here I am again. This entire week, everybody that I know that's deeply into soccer or football, we've been having heated arguments. I'm over here defending players that I think should have been higher up on the list or players that I don't think deserve to be on the list. And then it becomes, uh, you know, more of a, a concentrated thing about specific players and their lives or their, you know, their play over the past couple of seasons. So it gets everyone talking. And at the end of the day, I mean, you might have hit it on the head. Uh, you know, we don't win it. We don't gain anything from it. Um, but obviously the magazine uh, finds football does. So, I mean, they're doing their jobs perfectly well because they've got us all in here somehow. 
yep. again, and they'll do it again next year. And that's that's the reason I wanted to bring it up was why, like, what's the reason? And because, <laughs> look, we we don't need to get in the rotten egg fight right about this because, like you said, it's like there is no right answer at the end of it. So, I I just think that 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 was one of the that was one of the things I wanted to probe into. Not so much have a debate about what should or should not have happened, but more or less dissect the why because that's at some point we can all choose to not care so much about it you know if people choose to not care so much about it then you know it starts to fade out all right so let's move on to the third Um, oh no yeah right you have something you want to add please um i was just gonna say like the um but french football saw what the grammys did to the weekend and they're like let's let robin Lewandowski. hmm Like oh, I, it felt like weekend. those kind of vibes. Yeah, they're attacking. They're 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 exploiting our human nature. I think as humans, we love to just debate, and you know, you put something in list form that you didn't create or people that that you can't control, and nice. you want to dissect it. You definitely do. You know, so exploiting human nature, man. That's what it, I think. That's that's the why. As humans are programmed that way. Can't help it. I love it. That's that's a great way to put it. The Ballon d'Or and France football are literally hijacking our better instincts <laughs> horrible horrible <laughs> all right so phase three this is um another kind of th- another thing that i uh really think is fun to do i asked you guys in advance to take a look at i sent you guys an email about some things i wanted us to go through so i i want to do a player shout out so each one of us gets to talk about two players the first one is someone who's killing it that you really just want to you really just want to give them props because you just you love what they're doing right now. Maybe they've been slept on by people. That could be the reason why. And then someone who maybe is struggling or maybe it just hasn't worked for them yet. And you just you're really a fan and you want to see it happen. Right. So LV, go ahead. Start with you. Tell, tell us who's killing it and who's struggling. OK, so I had a hard time picking just one player on both ends to shout out and to kind of give some hope to. Um, but uh, if I had to pick one, um, we got Wang Hee Chan, South Korean international playing at Wolves. Um, you know, I think he sort of burst on the scene scoring a wild goal against Liverpool and Virgil van Dijk. The folks say, put what would they say? Something about giving Virgil a hot dog or some sort of British slang, something like that. But uh, um, he's been at Wolves on loan. And um, he, he sort of cooled off now, but over the over the past couple of uh, weeks, he's been like he's been absolutely integral in keeping Wolves in the conversation. They sit sixth now in the league. Uh, he's got four goals to his name, which in, in this Premier League season is right up there with everybody, aside from the guys who are kind of uh, you know in the stratosphere of their own goal wise, mostly Liverpool guys. Um, but uh, I think Wolves, after a really tough season and a half and, you know, sacking Nuno, having the horrible injury happen to Raul Jimenez. And, you know, just, they look like they're back playing good football. They're scoring tons of goals. And uh, with Jimenez back, you got Wang Hee Chan uh, playing. I think he plays for the most part on the right wing, but he's banging in goals. And I think as, if I were a Wolves fan, I'd be very happy to have someone like that in a time like this, where things were not necessarily looking, you know, in a positive direction for Wolves. So big shout out to Wang Hee Chan. He's been killing it. I hope he continues to do so. I love it. Um, now, as far as a player that I would like to see do better, I was going to make the emotional decision 
and make this one straight from the heart. It was going to be Tangi and Dombele because I've got so much to say about him, but we'll leave him to the side. <laughs> Notice how I stuck, I stuck, a, I'm going to stick two in there. Just, I'm cheating here, guys. Sorry. But instead of Ndombele, I'm going to go with Manuel Locatelli. I think uh, Locatelli in Serie A last season at Sassuolo burst on the scene um, and was phenomenal. I mean, the entire team, Sassuolo was playing wonderful football um, and Locatelli, Locatelli was sort of the, you know, the engine, the transmission of that. And I don't want to say he, you know, he uh, made his move too soon to Juve or to a big club, but it could be the case, I think, in the situation that Juventus are at. I believe that he will get, he will find his groove. I'm not saying he's been playing terribly, but I believe he will find his groove. And I think he's got immense potential to be some someone that you know could be a star in Italy could could be in the Ballon d'Or conversation in the in a year's time if you know if the powers that be allow it um but I think with overall the situation at Juve they haven't been playing wonderful football especially in the midfield it's been a a lot of things that I've been seeing has have been uh 80 minutes of struggling and Chiesa putting the game on his back and somehow getting it done or being unable to do so um but I haven't been seeing the, uh, you know, just the creative play from Juventus in a midfield. And I think it could be because there has been a number of guys, aside from Locatelli, that have been lining up there. Nothing very concrete. Um, I think, uh, I think he'll, he, he will get better, but I haven't seen what I thought I would see from him yet. Now, the season is early. It is early days. He's got plenty of time to kind of uh, get situated in the system that Juventus have, as does the entire team, to be fair. Um, but yeah, Manuel Locatelli, I, I, I'd like to give him some hope. I hope he does well. And yeah, you know, I think it's, last thing I'll say, it's just because for Juventus, you know, we, we've always known Serie A as a, as a very defensively, very, you know, just like uh, not many goals being scored occasionally, but it's, there's been a transition in that in the last couple of years, of course. Uh, Juventus obviously has been on the, the downward trajectory of this sort of transition, you know, coupled with bad management, bad front office, and um, just not the, I guess, the smartest transfers. Um, but, you know, when you think of Juventus midfielders, you, you know, so many names come to mind. Marquisio, you got Pogba, Andrea Pirlo, my personal favorite. And Locatelli, I think, is cut from that sort of ilk where he could be a game changer. And hasn't happened yet, but I believe he will. Mm. I'll leave it at that. I love that one. That's a, that's a great shout. Ronnie, what do you got? Um, So, Ovi knows that I rattle off so many players that I consider favorites. Um, Be it Lucas Paqueta, be it um, Alexander Isak. Um, since you came on the pod, Victor Osiman has been on the top of my personal list. Um. I want to give a personal shout to Wout Weghorst of Wolfsburg. Um, that man, he if if there were no Robert Lewandowski in the Bundesliga, if Erling Haaland wasn't in the Bundesliga, that man would run away with top score, in my opinion. And is always finding outs for Wolfsburg, especially in a season where they're pretty much struggling. Like, it's not the same Wolfsburg as Lazio who found their way into the Champions League on the back of Vekos and all of his goals. He's, I think, on five goals in all comps this season. Early days, yes, it's the first day of December, but 
I feel like he could be someone who, you know, people should give more looks to. I was very happy to see him play out the Euros. The Dutch should have given him a look a long time ago. I hope he makes the trip to the World Cup as well. Um, but, you know, that's just a player who I hold near and dear to me. Um, a player who I feel like has been so hot. Um, again, like I'll be, I kind of found it a bit difficult to choose one for this particular category, but um, I'm going to go Napoli. I'm going to go Irving Chucky Lozano. Mm. Um, this, um, I get that he got like ransacked against Trinidad and Tobago to start the gold cup. And I feel like since then he hasn't been, he hasn't been the tricky Lozano. I know he could be electric. He has flair, but this season, well, yes, he scored a few goals and dished out a few assists. It's not the same tricky Lozano that I'm, that I know he can be, and that translates to the Mexican national team as well, especially this crop of Mexican national team who's been struggling in qualifiers. Canada took points from them at home, um, lost to Canada, lost to the U.S., lost to the U.S. in Gold Cup and in the Nations League. I don't know. I feel like he could be a lot better this time around. He hasn't even been playing a lot. Um, I don't know. Maybe that's some in conflict with like the culture or whatever. I know he had things to say about him wanting to join a bigger club. Um, I don't think that does him any favors. Um, I don't think he's played a full 90 this year. Um, more consistency, I would love to see that from Lozano um, because he is one of the best Mexican players, not playing like it right now. Um, definitely better than Tecatito Corona. He has been trashed this season. But um, Chucky Irving Lozano is someone I feel like could be a lot better. Um, and I see him being better. Whether he gets to move out of Napoli or not, I don't know. He should, you know, pick up the second one. Chucky. All right. I like that. And I, I, I it's interesting. He struggled um, a little bit under Reno Gattuso. And, like, then all of a sudden started picking it up and playing really, really well. And so, yeah, I mean, I'm with you. I, I, I'm, I'm hoping bigger things from him as well. He allegedly had beef with Gattuso. Yeah. That's why he wasn't getting any um ticks for um Napoli. But now apparently he has beef with Spalletti. I'm not sure. But I feel like it could be a personal issue with him as well. Like he's oh, how old is Lozano? Um not sure. How old he is. He he's not I think he's like in his like 25, 26 or whatever. So like there's still time for him to mature. And I feel like if that's the issue, you gotta do better for him. Yeah, I like that. So my two picks, um, my first pick, the kid, guy who's killing it, is is way more obvious and, uh, and and less creative, I will say, than what you guys came up with. I'm going with Vinny Jr. Um, because to me, he is the most exciting player in La Liga at the moment. Um, yes. His absolute banger against Sevilla was great, but he's also scored some exceptional goals from tight angles, and he's just been great to see this season. And the reason I'm choosing him it's not just because he's good and he's he's playing well, but it's more the way everyone else talked about him. Over the, every time I hear him score a goal, people are like, "Oh well, this was always the issue with him." You know, he could he, his final product wasn't good. He couldn't score enough goals and get enough assists, and it was you could tell he just 
we were wondering if Vinny Jr. was ever really going to, you know, if he was actually going to be a good player. Ask Benzema. So, yeah, right. What Benzema had to say about him last year, he went up to Farrell and many. He was like, the guy's not playing with us. He's just like, okay, let's, let's just for a little bit of context, he is 21 years old. So he's, he's not, he's, he's not in his mid twenties and still struggling to get a goal scoring record together. That everyone thought he would have. Yes. He was expensive, but he debuted for Flamengo in May of 2017. That's when he played his first ever professional match when he was 16 years old. He, in that season, that spring season, he had 32 appearances, only three starts, had uh, four goals and one assist. So by, by no means was he like tearing it up and lighting, lighting the Brazilian league on fire. He was obviously just a very good, good young player. Uh, and then the next season, he only played 17 times because he only played two months of the season before in the summer moving to Real Madrid as a 17-year-old kid. So he's played really only eight full months. Basically, he signs for Real Madrid as a 17-year-old, and no one could wait until he's 21 to actually be productive. Everyone just needed him to be good right away. I think this time frame, right, from if you get your debut at 16, you start playing regular football at 17, you move to the biggest club on earth, and then you take three years to really, really turn into an absolute superstar. I think that's not the worst trajectory. So I, I want to give him credit because I think people have been way too impatient with him. And he's now, you know, showing showing what a lot of people were maybe waiting for back in the beginning when he was signed. The player that right. I want to see. Like, sorry, go ahead. I don't feel like any player who joined Real Madrid has been hot off the bat. Like... Yes, you have some exceptions, like maybe even Ronaldo, um, Raul when he first joined. But like when you think about the long line of players Real Madrid has had, um, be it Vinny Jr., be it uh, Tony Cruz, um, covering Benzema, Iker Casillas, we're gonna go all the way back. Yeah, they never yeah. really jumped off right away. It took them down to regress, and I feel like that's just the thing that comes with Real Madrid. Like they're impatient. Yeah, I, I, uh, I think that's where the lights are brightest. So, um, you know, it, 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 and unfortunately, that's where the fans sometimes and, you know, um, their, their, their publication, Marco or Marsa, uh, they don't necessarily give anybody some sort of grace periods. I mean, this is the place where Kaka struggled, you know, world, world record signing at the point, Kaka. So, yeah. So, yeah, that's I mean, I, I just love what he's doing. And I think he's risen above um, something that it was an unfair narrative and an unfair trope on him from the start. Uh, the player who is, who I I'm rooting for like crazy is Ruben Loftus-Cheek. Um, oh. Ever since the day as a Chelsea fan, the first time you saw videos of this guy coming out of the Academy and being on the bench at games, you're like, this dude is the guy, like he's a, an absolute beast. He's so good with his feet. He's going to be incredible. And he did really well when he started getting games Um you know, at a young age, he got some games here and there played under Lampard was doing very well. And then had his, had his Achilles injury, which was just, you know, brutal for him. Crazy thing. He's now 25. The guy's actually older than Deli Alley uh, by a little bit, which is weird to think, but he played uh, on the weekend against man United. And I was really bummed to hear a lot of people say that he was probably Chelsea's weakest player on the day. Um, because I thought he played well. I don't think he 
you know, lit everything up, but you know, he's a whole, he's a central midfielder. He's got a very specific job you have to do. And then if you can go above and beyond great. Uh, and I think it was just a little unfortunate to see he gets a start, does fine against Man United. And I thought the player ratings, the the ratings that people gave him, a lot of journalists were really a little bit brutal. And I just would be sad to see him not really hit the, hit the ground and run at any point this season and then potentially get sold. And then two years from now, he turns into a G somewhere. Like this is the thing as a Chelsea fan, you're worried about all the time. You want your young players to get their chance and to show what they can do. And if they, if we know that they're not good enough to really stick around and start, then we're happy for them to get sold somewhere and do a great job. But, you know, I just get, I get a little weird with, um, with these Chelsea guys. And when they're so good, you just want them to stick around because look, when, when Reese James scores a goal, the crowd at Stamford bridge is like twice as loud as if Kai Havertz scores. Because, you know, it's the one of our own kind of thing. And so I, I would just love to see him kick on and, and get to that level that a lot of people thought he would. All right. To close out, I want to hear what you guys think is the silliest debate you've heard of late. Jorginho being third in Ballon d'Or voting. Okay. So, yeah. The, the, is this the one that you want to just go in on? I personally feel like he is not a top three player in the world, let alone on Chelsea or on Italy. Okay. Um, What's the worst take you've heard on this? What's the worst take you've heard about Jorginho that just gets under your skin? Just the fact that he won two trophies. Like, that he does his job all like fam. Okay, but like we've said before, um, Conte in that midfield, tracking it down players like a hog, no matter where they're on the pitch. Um, earning three man of the match awards on the spin against Real Madrid twice and in the final. How are we going to go up against that? And like I mentioned to start, Edouard Mendy has been phenomenal since he joined um, Chelsea. I'm not saying this to say that Jorginho's a shit player. He's absolutely not. I just don't see him as one of as in the Ballon d'Or caliber type of conversation. And when we look at Italy, Donnarumma, Chiesa, the two old-ass center-back partnerships. Um, I even said once um, Leonardo Spinazzola went down injured against, I think it was Belgium. Yeah. Um, that changed the tempo for Italy, even though they won it. The semifinal and the final, they, they definitely missed him then. I feel like we can agree on that. Yeah, but that's just a recent bit. Um, I also would say that so the whole squad and this whole squad, we all go out to see the Euro final in person at a bar in Brooklyn, and you know, Italy were outnumbered by England there, and one of the guys there was like, because they were talking about whether or not who whoever wins this game would be a deserving winner of it. The guy said, no. And we're like, why wouldn't Italy be a deserving winner? Because England conceded more goals than Italy. That's why. That's not how this works, buddy. Yeah. And it turns out they lost. So I guess Italy were undeserving winners, according to that guy. But, um, yeah, just those two. 
I, you know, the deserving winners thing or the non-deserving winners thing is always, is always really interesting because at a certain point you recognize that the word deserve has absolutely nothing to do with anything. It has, it's, it's a great, it's a great emotional thing to talk about, but it doesn't actually do anything or change anything. Blame Jose Mourinho. Yep. Captain Deflecto. <laughs> yeah. The best, <laughs> Mister, the best team lost today. Yeah. Okay. We get it. All right. So LV, what's, uh, what's been driving you up the wall? Okay, it was a good question. And so I had to think for a second of all the silly things I've seen. So I had to go through my mental Rolodex of talk sport clips that I watched over the past week, <laughs> two weeks and a half. Um, but actually, this was on Sky Sports. I'm sure you guys saw it. It was uh, Jamie Carragher and Roy Keane. On, uh, and they were talking, they were debating Ronaldo. And this, I think this was after the Chelsea, uh, the Chelsea draw. This was brilliant. And it oh, was oh. five minutes of absolute running in circles. They're both saying the same thing for the most part. Uh, Carragher is here saying, why do I, I think the, the, the basis of the argument was Roy Keane says Ronaldo should be starting in a match like this because he's well, Cristiano Ronaldo and this is against Chelsea. Jamie Carragher is saying the manager, I backed the manager to have the balls to bench him basically. And it became, it went from that to becoming why did Man United sign Ronaldo? Roy Keane is saying to win cups. And uh, Jamie Carragher is saying, well, you're not going to win the league. And Roy Keane is like, we're here to win cups, the FA Cup. And Carragher goes back and forth. And Carragher is saying, you're not going to win the league. As uh, Jordan Henderson scores against Everton in the Merseyside Derby, they kick it off. Oh, all right. Um, but uh, it, it just was four minutes of them just running in circles saying pretty much the same thing. Uh, and then I think the funniest, the, the silliest or the funny thing, funniest thing that I saw afterwards was uh, – it was uh, Rio Ferdinand sort of quote tweeted or retweeted what he said, and he dropped a video saying from his podcast saying, <laughs> saying you should never listen to Jamie Carragher talking about winning the Premier League. He's never done it. He doesn't know how to do it. So when he starts talking about the league, just put him on mute. And I was like, damn, okay, Jeff, let's go with a little jab here. So, so I thought that was that was pretty silly. And I think the entire United debacle as someone who grew up. Um, you know, just not the, you know, I, I, not the biggest fan of Man United, uh, respected them for sure, respected the hell out of them. But seeing their sort of downward spiral post Ferguson has been very funny because it just results in the fans kind of coming at each other. Uh, and so any any sort of debate within that realm, whether Ragnick's a, a coach or should he be director of football, the entire idea of just giving someone a six month contract and sort of making it like a, you know, high profile six month contract, if you will, things like that. So I've been enjoying the United sphere, the, the discourse over there. So, well, I'm oh, not going to, dis- um, I'm not, I'm not going to disappoint you because my, my thing is about Ralph Ragnick. I did also, I, yeah, but I did also want to mention to that video you were saying the, cause it was absolute garbage television. They're yelling at each other. They're not saying anything. They're going around in circles, but the best part was Jimmy Floyd Hasselbank sitting there in the middle with a grin on his face like this is this is awkward should i be here do you guys want me to leave that was was amazing ronnie what were you gonna say i was gonna say that that bit about um um ronaldo's here to win cups reminds me a bit of the um when sky had like a gary neville hosted panel and this guy from aftv i think his name is ty like he was going at it with Carragher. Like, he was like, yo, like, we're Arsenal Football Club. 
everyone has it like you know as the biggest joke in the prim, which at the time they really were. Um, it was just going on, and like, um, winning was a part of the conversation. And Tiger is mentioned, oh, winning the league, and Ty's like, who's talking about winning the league? Us, us. If you Jamie Tiger, something like that, it reminded me of that. Like they're talking about being successful and winning, and the guy Ty's like. Wait, you're talking about winning the league? I'm not talking about that. That's we we, we don't have you in that conversation. We're not thinking about you that way. <laughs> All right, so here's here's my Ralph Ragnick thing. I'm going to lead this off with, does anyone remember what made Sam Allardyce so groundbreaking <laughs> as a coach when he first came into the Premier League? What was? Do you guys remember that what he was doing that was like, wow, this is new and unique? Was it the low block? No, no, no. It was actually he. the big thing that he did in some games, he would be sitting at the very top of the Reebok stadium watching the games with an earpiece talking down, uh, giving messages to his assistant. Or it'd be the other way around where he's on the sideline with the earpiece and they're talking guy with a really good view of the field can see everything. He was one of the first Sam Allardyce was given a lot of credit and he definitely deserves it for actually bringing some technological just tools into the game to help him right that was a while ago that was when he was managing bolton this is when jj culture was still you oh, know around okay, okay. <laughs> Dang. so yeah. man united play against chelsea and a few things are notable one ronaldo's not in the lineup two they try to press and three well they're not wow. absolutely god awful wow. even though they get played off the park Okay. And they don't lose five nil. So those were the main differences. But what everyone seemed to pick up on was that Darren Fletcher had a head, had a, had headphones and was talking to somebody and that he was going and shouting decisions on the field, shouting things to players without Michael Carrick, without telling Michael Carrick and then Michael Carrick saying it. Right. So this obviously tons of people got all conspiratorial thinking, well, that's what Ralph Ragnick's going to do. Number one, he's going to bench Ronaldo. Number two, he's going to play a high-pressing game that looks more organized. And he is the one that said, this is the formation you'll, that I want you guys to play, and this is the style I want you guys to play. And people's whole reason for this was one shot of Darren Fletcher talking to someone on headphones. So if Sam Allardyce was doing this 20 years ago, how on earth did we forget that that's possible as well, that their staff is coordinating and talking? Because to me, the idea that Ralph Ragnick, who is still waiting on landing in the club because of his visa, was on the phone saying, here's what I want you to do for this game. To me, <laughs> that is beyond stupid and i think the most frustrating thing is some high profile journalists who are you know talk on high profile shows and are respected and listened to they were very much implicated in growing and throwing this story out there to where the public could then take it and go in any which direction they want mm -hmm. so i, I bring up the mean, sam allardyce comparison because i'm like yo uh talking on the phone ain't new okay um I mean, if they were doing TikTok videos and sending them to each other, I'd be like, oh, okay, what's going on here? <laughs> TikTok but, football, that'd be incredible. Yeah, right? So, that, I don't know. I don't know what you guys thought about that, but that That's was... Really funny. That's really funny. I, I think on the Ralph Ragnick thing, just the point, the entire point of, uh, you know, he's been being, you know, 
touted, touted as like uh, the father of the German, you know, the German press or whatever the case may be. The Gegen like, press. Yeah, the Gegen, or yeah, however, I'm not even going to try to pronounce it because I'm going to butcher it. Um, and, you know, uh, he has disciples as big as Klopp and Tuchel. And, you know, I, I when you make those, those points and those claims, I sort of, you think of like Marcelo Bielsa, right? Who has disciples that range from, uh, you know, allegedly Pochettino, Pep Guardiola, amongst others. And we know Marcelo Bielsa as uh, a visionary manager who hasn't necessarily made his mark yet, at least in the Premier League. And even when he was at La Liga, uh, he, he was he was decent, but these guys who are his alleged uh, disciples are doing astronomical things. And so just, I think uh, I implore United fans before you get too big headed, just remember it, just because you did it first does not necessarily mean that you're going to do it the best. And so, um, but Hey, I mean, that that's the one thing that I've been seeing a lot that inside the fact that uh, he's known better for sort of building up, squads and uh, being a DOF and I think in his contract so it's six months on the job as the coach and then he's got like a two-year contract as well uh to sort of as a consultant yeah whatever the hell that means yeah (laughs) exactly so we are consultants yeah exactly hey I consult all the time you know I consult all the time so what do you think this mic is for (laughs) listen hey I'm going to consult my dog on his, uh, his lunch in about 15 minutes. You know, I'm going to let him know what he should probably eat, you know? So, yeah. Yeah. So it, it'll be interesting to see, but the entire Ragnick uh, United saga has been really funny, but that's, that's hilarious that Sam Allardyce is a visionary in that respect. I love it. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's a real thing. I mean, he was really regarded as groundbreaking with the way he was using, you know, technology and his staff and just like making sure that, you know, there, were, there weren't many, there was no one doing that before him. And so I just think it's funny that that was like 20 years ago and people are like, wait, what? What's Darren Fletcher <laughs> doing on the phone? <laughs> what are like, you doing with Motorola? Come on, man. <laughs> so, um, no, that, I mean, that, that, I, I do think this whole, I will say, it's, I, I'll agree with you, watching Man United struggle since Ferguson left has been kind of funny, um, mostly because they're so bad at being humble about themselves. And I think that that argument on Sky, well, the ones that they have every week, to be honest with you about Man United, they're they're so they're so boring. I I think Ole's goodbye speech on Man United TV, by the way, that ran a close second um, to, to this because I have never in my life, never. And tell me if you've seen this, seen a coach get fired and immediately go on club TV to talk about how nice of a time he had making friends. That was incredible. Frank Lampard got fired. Frank Lampard, club legend from Chelsea. He got fired. No one saw or heard from him for three months. Gulag style. (laughs) Out of here. (laughs) Out of here. No kidding. Yeah, no, that doesn't happen. The closest thing I could think of to that, uh, Mourinho gets sacked at Spurs six days before the Carabao Cup final. And uh, journalists are sort of outside his house and you get all access to this be- because Mourinho decided to pick up Instagram the year before. So he's in front of his house, packing his stuff, just filming the cameraman like, I don't get a rest no matter what happens. So that's the closest thing I can think of. But yeah, you never see that. He had a whole segment as Mo Salah scores to make it 2-0 uh, over Everton right now. It's getting ugly. Here. And Mason Mount has uh, put Chelsea in the lead against Watford as well. I hate you. Scoreless in Madrid. 
This means anyone anyone can know exactly what time it is that we are uh, recording this, yeah, which is great. <laughs> no, we're time, we're time stamping like, this thing. I feel like I've seen cultures get that type of treatment if they like resigned or mutually like parted ways after the end of a contract or if the coach retired, like um, Roy Hodgson did at Crystal Palace. Not for getting psyched like Ole did at Man United. I mean, that, that goodbye video was incredible. It, I, I implore anybody, if you, whether it's you guys or anyone listening, if you have not seen it, you have to. Because it's just, you. It, you there, keep in mind, it never happens. You never see someone get fired and go on club TV and, and, and explain how wonderful an, an emotional of an experience it was. That is just next level. So I'm burning bridges. Yeah. Um, <laughs> All maybe. Nuno got was a fake Instagram post. It wasn't yeah. even really him. <laughs> Nuno uh, Espirito Santo got a fake Instagram post. It wasn't even him. Talking and about and then there, yeah, then there was uh, Cisco Munoz, the Watford manager at the beginning of the season, who was there for like four games. And they were like, okay, bye. And he was like, huh? <laughs> so then we bring in Claudio Ranieri because that'll make everyone forget about the last guy. I mean, it's in, yeah, it's. It's phenomenal. So, guys, let's uh, let's let's break this down because uh, you know there's there's football to watch right now. And we want to make sure we give it our undivided attention so we have more stuff to talk about as the week goes on. But once again, LV Ronnie, thank you so much, guys. You're the two of two of the three voices on the Footy Misfits, and you guys kill it. Um, my favorite segment you guys do is BS of the week. That was uh, uh. What, this uh, silliest debate of late was kind of my my take on that. And because you guys are so good at that, I needed to give you guys a little bit of wind uh, to go in on whatever it is you wanted to. So it, anything you guys want to say to shout out the footy misfits, and then we can uh, go about our Wednesday. Ronnie, you want to go or should I? Okay, the floor is mine. Okay, all right. Um, well, first things first. Big up to Sebastian. Big up to Campfire Football. Thank you for having us on here. This was a wonderful conversation, and not just the the you know the uh, the straightforward topics. We got some mind picking questions, which we love. Uh, so thank you for that. Uh, as far as the football misfits go, if you're not listening to Campfire Football, you can check us on all platforms. And uh, Sebastian mentioned BS of the week. Uh, at the end of the year, we have a little a segment that we like to call BS of the year, y'all. So if if uh, if you're listening and you've you've uh, you've heard something or seen something that you think was absolute dog shit, let us know. Sebastian, you included, and uh, we will have. Our, it's usually, I mean, it's the second second year running, so it'll be it'll be fun. And you'll also not only see uh, some BS from on the pitch, you'll see a lot of the outtakes that we have throughout the season, uh, which, are mainly, which are mainly just me mispronouncing things terribly, just butchering names and all oh, that good brilliant. stuff. So, tune into awesome. that at the end of the year, just before New Year's. And uh, yeah, man, uh, again, a big shout out to Campfire Football. Happy to be here. Thank you, gentlemen. Guys, great shout for BS of the Year that is coming up. The most wonderful time of the year. <laughs> As I believe Tony Cruz has his shot saved by Unai Simon. Um, I could have shouted Unai Simon now in the earlier bit, by the way, but that's neither here nor there. Oh, that's true, um, yeah. But, hey, man. Um, yeah, uh, I second what LV says, and I told you this when you came on our platform, giving you your flowers whenever there's a chance to, because um, you are one of the most entertaining people to listen to. I love the takes. I love how you pick people's brains like you did ours. Um, and 
I'm glad that we were able to do the return leg of you coming on our platform. And I'm, I'm definitely looking forward to more collabs with the two of us, the, our two platforms in the future. So again, thank you so much, Sebastian. You are the best. And shouts to you for being a state champion, my friend. Thank you. We have to. If this were our platform, we're doing air horns, but we got to shout you out. There we go. We thought for that one. Love that. Congrats. Gotta shout you out. Thank Congrats. you. And and yeah, anyone anyone who's curious about what that means, uh, the previous episode of the show, I interviewed uh, the coach from uh, the program, good friend of mine, Jason Kiever, and he told the basically the full full two and a half hour long seven year story of how it happened. So guys, thank yeah, thank you guys, and and. Uh, I'm I'm excited for this BS of the year, and I'm really gonna think of something. I'm gonna I want to send a topic your guys' way for that because that's 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 too good. So, yeah, appreciate it. And then we actually we have to do at least one more collab because so far, your whole crew we've done it's been two thirds of the of uh, yeah, misfits both times now. So we gotta we gotta have everyone together. We gotta have that happen at least once. All right, gentlemen, enjoy your day of Premier League football. And um, if you got a fantasy team, I hope things work out for you today. Oh, wow. I'm so glad that you brought that up. <laughs> Reese James, you're a Chelsea fan. Reese James has been my hero this season. Hey, he's been pretty good. I, I was disappointed to see the 1-0 was not him or Rudiger scoring because they're both yeah. my team. So. <laughs> <laughs> All right, guys. Thanks so much. Enjoy your day. And uh, let's chat soon.